0: All right, welcome everyone back to Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we have uh, Diane Huff on the line with us. I really shouldn't be calling you a nerd. I should just be calling you popular because um, Mm -hmm. that's what you are. So Um, I'm still a nerd.
1: I I take nerd and geek with with equal clarity for myself. So
0: So I was was trying to push the limits a little bit the other day by by sending, I sent out this email blast and post on LinkedIn that got a little bit of, of response as to, you know, why I don't work with women. And quite frankly, there just aren't any women for me to work with. And right. when I came from retail, before I ever got into technology, that was like almost two decades ago, I was actually the only guy. So I don't know what that means or how to say anything about anything, but that's what we're talking about today. Right? How, so you've been in technology for quite a while. Why don't we just start with, you know, how you got started? Like, you know, what was your first computer growing up or kind of what was the story of like, you know, how did you end up in this space?
1: Well, I, I grew up in a time where no one had a computer growing up. So, um, the first computer I got was in, I think it was 1985. A friend gave me a fairly modified Commodore 64.
0: Oh, modified. And I, uh, yeah, modified? And, you know,
1: I, all my friends were nerds. So, you know, um, <laughs> uh, and it was actually, uh, uh, one of those things that I I saw how he modified it and it it got me very interested in technology. Uh-huh. My first computer that I ever owned on my own was a used IBM 5150 with the dual floppy drives, and uh, I used that almost exclusively. I had WordPerfect on a floppy, used mm. it almost exclusively for word processing, and then uh, I also had Lotus One Two Three on a floppy drive. So, um, I didn't get anything high powered until the nineties when I built it myself, but I, that, that's what sparked my interest, but it wasn't my field of study. I was studying to be a psychologist and I was going to school, uh, to be, you know, to, to work in criminal psychology and just happened to be working for a value added reseller as a receptionist, making Mm -hmm. coffee, reading books and, um, one day, the guy who did the rack and stacking, and throwing cable uh-huh. broke his arm, and they okay. asked me if I wanted to learn, and um, I guess they had, you know, a manpower shortage, and they grabbed the first person they could find, and I learned how to build, I'm really going to date myself, Cat3 Cable um, and Token Ring Networks. I did it for about four months, and then the guy who broke his arm came back to work, and um, they said, oh, well, you're free to go back to doing what you were doing, and I thought, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? I love uh-huh. this. And I hate yeah. what I'm doing. Because uh, technology has a has an A to Z. It, it always has, projects have a beginning and an end to them. Uh-huh. Um, and you can build technology. I mean, technology is dynamic and you're always going to have to add additions and upgrades, but you can always see the beginning and the end.
0: Psychology, you're always- you're be crazy.
1: You know, you're just, you're going to be crazy. There is no <laughs> not being crazy at the end of the day. And criminal psychology, <laughs> You know, you may not always be nice. So you just, uh, they don't tell you when you're studying criminal psychology that criminals are bad people and you just have <laughs> and you're you have
0: only it. going to be working with bad people for the exactly. rest of your life and seeing how screwed up the world is
1: right in technology <laughs> only half the people are bad so you know it was a better division of, of personalities
0: for Well, we could get it we could go down the path of you know psychological evaluation of IT guys uh, and, and typing them you know anytime oh, you
1: want oh um, I've, I've done that many many times just sitting at my desk looking at my team so I, I'm there with you 100% so.
0: and people still have CAT3 by the way and RJ11 cabling everywhere <sighs> That's what I would like. I I would like to solve that problem once and for all. Um, Well, yeah, you make a good point. I mean, technology is, the growth is, it's not slowing down. It's exponentially growing. And it's, you know, one of the themes that's been coming up a lot lately is the successful technology leader has to really be always one step ahead, like, you know, two versions ahead of the versions before they come out type of thing. Right. right? And if you're No one can afford that. Yeah, no one can afford it. And if you're constantly catching up, you're kind of lost. So it's kind of like, how do we engineer this and do, you know, do as much as we can with as little as we're given. Uh, But before we get there, talk to me a little bit about, okay, so, well, where were you at that time when you were, when you kind of like migrated into this position due to broken arm guy, what, um, like, were you still going to school at that time? Or was this like, what were you Where were you at in your career?
1: I was. I was still going to school. I I was working on my PhD, and I spent years and years working in technology. A PhD is just not overnight. And I never, you know, even though I had the grants, PhDs take a long time. So Mm -hmm. when I finished my PhD, I quit my job, worked in technology. I worked for this value-added reseller, a small one out of North Carolina. A great guy, probably one of the best mentors I've ever had. A very Quiet, patient man who just genuinely taught me everything I needed to know about Novell networking. He encouraged me to, when Windows networking came out, mm-hmm. he encouraged me to be a Windows engineer. He encouraged me to become a, a CNE and a master CNE. Mm-hmm. He encouraged me to be a CCIE. And he kept telling me, you know, he said, you can throw a rock and hit a man in technology. He said, but you're the only woman I've ever seen. And pushed me and encouraged me, but then when I got when I got hold
0: on one second there because I like talking about mentors because that's something that's been coming up lately. Sure. And you said you had a really good mentor, and a lot of people don't know. Well, I, you know, mentors are kind of like just something that like I, that happens or like I fall into and I just happen to be, you know, people always say like, they always, you always know who that great teacher was. If I ask you like, you know, who your favorite teacher was in high school, there's immediately someone that pops in the head or, or like who you hate, right. There's someone that pops in your head. But what do you think were some of those key factors that made this, you said patient or very, you know, calm or whatever. Okay. So that's not me, but what's, um, what, what would you think? What, what do you think it was Were the key factors? Was it good suggestions? Was it believing in you? What was it?
1: Oh, his name is Gary Allen. He's actually passed away now, but his, he taught me something that I have carried with me throughout my career. And that is that people are not perfect and you make mistakes. As long as you take those mistakes and make those a teachable moment for yourself and for your team around you, then you make mistakes together as a team, and not one person is held accountable and and you know eviscerated in the town square. And you, there's no self-flagellation that has to go on. It's it's a team or a group, and we make these mistakes and we learn and we move forward. And I have carried that with me in kind of almost everything in marriages that didn't work out. I'm like, oh, it was a team effort, it didn't work out, or in uh, friendships, or but but particularly in a team environment for a company because you know the the worst thing you can do is have your um, employees constantly operating out of fear and if they realize that they can be human that they can make mistakes it's it, it works and, and and it makes for a happier workplace i've had a lot of really happy solid teams it's there's not it 's not to say that if you continue to make the same mistake over and over again i won't bop you in the head or give you enough rope, rope to hang yourself but you know as a as a technology leader and as someone who's had as many years of experience as I had, you know I want to help them grow um, and and part of growth is making mistakes so i i I valued and carried that with me now i am not he was a patient wonderful man he was a he was a minister on the weekends. I don't have any of those qualities. So, but, but I'm just very forward and candid and outgoing. But I, every once in a while, I try to get that Zen moment. I like to call it my Gary moment and just, uh, you know, speak to one of my employees and say, okay, you made a mistake. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to learn from it. And he was just fantastic with that. And I've had very few leaders moving forward who have been that quality of a person and that quality of a leader. Mm. I've had some great leaders, but I would consider him to be one of my strongest mentors. And then I have another one quite recently that that is a mentor who taught me about, um, it was David Strobel. He was my CEO at Models. He taught me about how to be in a, in a completely different fashion though. He taught me how to be calculating in my career and the things that I do, the people that I interact with, and I don't want that to sound cold. I want that to sound, he, you know, he said, you've gotten to a certain level. Maybe you need to be a little bit more calculating in some of your moves. And I, a lot of the things that he said resonated with me because I had just sort of allowed my career to grow on like topsy. And he actually uh, taught me a lot about how to make particular moves and how to, you know, address people in a different way, how to communicate a little differently. And how to network in a way that would further my career. And, and I have nothing but, you know, very, you know, strong, positive feelings about my time with him because of that too. So it was very yin and yang. My, my two mentors were very yin and yang for me.
0: Now, when you say, and I'm, I'm just curious, I just want to dig a little bit deeper when he when said, I'd be more calculating, or, is that more of a kind of presenting a, I guess, a, a vision of yourself? and then making decisions that, that fall in alignment with that vision?
1: Exactly. And, and, you know, for instance, I have been a leader who's been very involved with my team, and I become very, my team and I become very insulated in this group dynamic, but that doesn't give me any visibility in my workplace. And he helped me to, uh, to encourage me to, 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 to spend more time networking with my peers and networking out in the community with peers from other organizations or into retail organizations or go to conferences and try not to be so fixated on my job that I'm not also uh, concerned about my career because they're two different things. Your Mm -hmm. your job is what you do on a daily basis, but your career is your path moving forward. And he taught me very much that you've got to focus on your career and how you present yourself and how you want to move forward rather than just focus on a job well done. Because I'm in IT operations and in IT operations and infrastructure, if it works, it's supposed to work. And if it's broken, it's your fault. There's no glory in that job. So there's no way to... Quite unforgiving. Exactly. There's really no way to get ahead unless you go from job to job to job. And there's no way to go from job and company and company, you know, place to place unless you... Focus on that outward appearance and that.
0: Um, yeah, I would argue that. that yeah, yeah, I would argue there that that's what everyone thinks the typical job description is. But if you really want to stand out as a technology leader, then you understand the bottom line, you understand gross margin, operating costs, and you know how to drive use technology as kind of like a driving factor to leverage the company and uh, you know make it more profitable and at least save money in some areas, at least drive. Right. So when you're stepping in kind of in that extra role that's outside of just, you know, making sure everything works, um, then that's more, then you're more valuable because you're actually good.
1: And and that's one of the reasons why you have a lot of CIOs who don't have a lot of technical background, but they have an MBA and they understand the business of technology and they can align your technology goals. Maybe they don't understand it completely, but they Mm -hmm. can align your technology goals you know, along with the business and grow the business. I learned that more, nowhere more than when I worked at Fairportal, which the bottom line was our OKRs, our KPIs were dollar driven. And being down in infrastructure, that's a cost center Mm -hmm. um, and has always been a cost center. Um, It was one of the places where I learned that you have to adjust your KPIs and your goals to help them meet that, meet those dollars, meet those sales, meet Mm -hmm. those, requirements. And, and it was, that was another valuable lesson for me and another place to work where I learned more about business than I had ever learned before and how to make technology a part of that business rather than just,
0: um, just keep the, keep the wheel. Yeah, it's surprising sometimes how many MBAs are in like CTO or CIO roles, but really don't have much of a technology background or aren't skilled at, like, like they couldn't step in and, like, handle the tickets. Let's just put it right. that way.
1: Right. And uh, as, as I work, you know, I, infrastructure reports to a lot of CTOs who have a software development background and just have no knowledge of IT operations and infrastructure. And then I have a lot of CIOs who come from, you know, development backgrounds who have no idea about infrastructure and IT operations. And so they need someone like me to come in and sort of step in. I, I don't, I don't have that MBA. I don't have a, a PhD in criminal psychology is not going to give me the business acumen.
0: I don't I think you need it. it though. I mean, to be honest <laughs> with you, I mean, personally, I don't think people need an MBA. I just think an MBA is kind of like one of those things where some companies are like, Oh, he has an MBA. Right. you are now qualified. You know, like, I don't think it should be, like, some people won't even look at you unless you have an MBA. But right. if you have significant business experience where you can show that you have, you know, driven profitable revenue, you know, if you have things like that, like, you know, shot, shotgun shells in your shotgun to, like, prove that, then I think it doesn't really matter because I don't think it's rocket science at the end of the day. Um, at least for me, I don't think it is. Right. Um, it's it's hard to prove. The point. I think... Yeah. It, I think what it, what it means, what it says more is for the people that do have the technology background, that do have that kind of, that do have all of those skills, there is an opening for you to really kind of like take over because you've, you've got the technology skills and the business acumen, you're going to have to have that. And if you layer that in, that makes you now very, very
1: um,
0: desirable. So, but let's get to the, Let's get to the feminine aspect of this, um, you know, because you you told me you had never worked with a woman until 2014.
1: I had never worked with a woman. I worked with my first woman on my IT team in 2014. She was a telephony administrator. She's still there. The first <laughs> true engineer I had ever worked with um, was in 2016 at Fair Portal, which I'll give a shout out to Kritika Gupta, who's one of the strongest technology engineers she knows data center she knows routing and switching she knows storage and she is the ultimate besides I think maybe besides myself the ultimate purple squirrel send
0: she, me send me her contact information after this so I can um, so I can tag her on this as well because oh I will she's
1: yeah she's a She is one of the very first technology, um, she's a manager, she was one of the very first technology managers that I had worked with. She came as an engineer and I made her a manager because I recognized that anything that I was talking to her about, the light was shining in her eyes of pure understanding. She had the knowledge and any task that I would give her she was able to do it. She one day will run some technology organization because she's just, you know, all she needs is a little bit of mentoring on the business side of it and, and the leadership. But, you know, she's young, but I'm telling you in 10 years, she's going to be running some organization, but she is, like I said, a purple squirrel. I, I so Why had- is
0: this? Honestly, like why is now my thoughts are that like when I was growing up and, and when you were growing up and I'm not too far I'm not too far behind, but you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, it was just like the, the, the guys that played with computers and the people that can play with computers, like, I mean, really were like nerds, you know what I mean? So is it, and was that reserved for guys? And that's why we have such a kind of offset or what what do you think it is? And then, and then what's the problem? Why aren't more women involved in technology? And is there, you know, you spoke of a glass ceiling and I kind of want to know, like, how real that is. Um, but maybe just, I don't know, where do you want to start with that one? Maybe let's just start with why is there not so many women, more women in technology?
1: Well, I mean, we can start from the beginning of my time during when I was coming up, there were very few technology degrees and in order to get those technology degrees, you had to do just a ton of math. And that was kind of part of the, the, Listen, when I was growing up, women just didn't focus on math. We focused on uh, the social sciences and, you know, psychology and and the domestic sciences and and, and nursing and things like that. And it wasn't something that was impressed upon us. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I fell into the career, but never once had anybody even, even when I was at Duke and I was, you know, scoring, you know, I was taking multivariable platform calculus and kicking its ass. No professor ever came up to me and said, Hey, you should transition into computer sciences. Never. They never mm. recommended that I go into physics or math or anything. Mm. It just wasn't part of our culture at that particular time. Then as technology became part of the overall environment, even I being right after, you know, I left that, that value added reseller and I went to another company I had the experience to be a full-on manager, but I was still an admin, and I had a a great manager then who said, you should focus on your work to become a project manager, because you're never going to break that glass ceiling. Men just aren't going to listen to a woman in technology until you're in charge of a project. So I became a project manager. I went to school, took my PMI certification, my PMP, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. became a project manager so that I could get people to understand not only my project manager, but I understand the technology behind it. And mm-hmm. then I was able to sort of transcend that, that ceiling that I hadn't hit the glass ceiling, but just transcend the, the environment, transcend it and go into, you know, program manager and then a, be a network manager and then a. Well,
0: you kind of had to do extra work.
1: I had to do, I had to work so much harder than the men around me in order to be that way. And I had to become very assertive, but cheerful, cheerful and assertive. At the same time, because, you know, a man can be very passionate and be very domineering and he can be very forward and direct and candid, and a woman is a bitch. It's
0: are you saying so IT directors are domineering and forward? <laughs> I, you just yeah, said that they're, like, domineering, outgoing, like, forward, like, all these other things that I just don't, you know, like, it's kind of like the, the stereotype is that, no, the IT guy, like, hides in the closet, and. You know you know Aaron Siemens when I interviewed him he said no it's just like slide some food under the door like those yeah, days were- yeah.
1: no that's very much it there were the they most of the managers when I was coming up had a very gruff exterior they were very direct and they you know the the first response was always no no can I get no will, <laughs> will you, no it, it was just no and they you know, they, they would generally sit in a data center or in an
0: Like office. an arrogant no, like a, how, yeah, dare, very, how dare, dare you know. make that suggestion?
1: is <laughs> in an office full of crap, you know, of, of old hard drives and books from you uh-huh. know, 10 years before. And, yeah. and then, you know, along, you know, comes Diane and she's oh, happy and cheerful and, and, uh-huh. and, 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 and upbeat and have a very positive nature. And it just did not compute. It did not compute in any way. And still to this day, I know that I've told you this story,
0: uh-huh. but I had
1: an interview with a company while I was in the mar- on the market, and I interviewed with a company seven times, and everyone liked me. And then I had an interview with the CEO. We had a great conversation. I'm There's nothing cool about me. I'm just very direct and candid and goofy, and uh, but I know what I'm talking about, and, I'm, and I have a lot of skills and experience. And at the end of the interview, he said, I just want to tell you right up front that you didn't get the job. And I said, oh, uh, why is that? And he said, you know what? You're very positive and cheerful. And he said, and that just translates, not very serious. I don't think you have any gravitas.
0: You don't have any what? Wait, no. I'm sorry. What was that? You don't have any what?
1: Any gravitas. Any gravitas whatsoever that people wouldn't take me seriously, that I could not give the message in a way that people would find very serious. They didn't think that my positive sort of upbeat nature, which I can't, You know, there's nothing cool about me, but I, you know, it just, it didn't, it didn't compute for him. And so I talked to him about it for a minute and I said, are you, are you sure about this? I definitely don't have the job. And he said, yeah, you definitely don't have the job. And pardon my language. I said, okay, well, fuck you then. Because I said, IT operations is, is a place where you need an infrastructure where you need someone positive, where you need someone to be and who's going to get your team over to hump especially in your you know your dated environment where you've been building the plane as you take off that a lot of this stuff is going to have to be pulled apart and and compressed you have to minimize your footprint it's a lot of work so you need somebody positive and upbeat who can do that and someone who also has the background experience and the skills to do it
0: plus you deal team. with all kinds of end users and you deal with all kinds of other people in the company that pretty much normally look down upon it and see them as kind of like the the, uh, so you
1: want to change that reputation you want somebody who's going to be that positive influence who's going uh-huh. to be very visible and, and seven interviews so, you know, why
0: who goes through yeah, seven interviews interview. do you think everyone so to then
1: I, I, I left they hired somebody different and then they called me back about a month later and said that person didn't work out and would I be willing to come back in for you know to speak again I was like no they called I mean, you back
0: <laughs> after you told them to F off
1: they called me yeah they they called me back but it, you know the first time that's happened, but I've had a couple (laughs) conversations with other people who say, yeah, I know this female and she's been trying to be the director, but, you know, it's not what they want for the job. They don't want that extrovert for the job. They want, it's just not part they consider IT to be. They consider IT to be very serious. And, and for someone like me, it's been, it's been tough to break that glass ceiling because I'm not, you know, very, t- uh, you know, and women are, were pushed, you know, even today, women are, you know, and young girls through the STEM program are kind of pushed into development and not into, you know, into infrastructure. I've spoken at many STEM schools, spoken to a lot of young girls, and they, over the last year, it's been a lot of the things that I do, and they look at me like I've grown a third head when I start talking about, I guess that'd be the second one, but they they look at me and say, I don't know anything about what you're talking about, about engineering, because the whole world has sort of gone into a development mode. You know, every little kid knows how to develop. Every teenager knows a little bit about Python scripting. Everybody can write their own apps. No Uh one's talking about the infrastructure that's being built on, and they're all saying, oh, we can just put it in the cloud. The cloud Mm -hmm. is just somebody else's computer Mm -hmm. network. I mean, think about it. So no one's pushing women to, or not pushing, but encouraging women to become, you know, infrastructure engineers, or routing and switching, or data center gurus, no one's forcing that. No one's saying, "Hey, you can, you know, learn a lot about terraforming and build AWS environments like I did over the past few months." No one's encouraging that, and they're especially not. And I don't know why, but it's you know, women have a long way to go in technology, not in development, because they're writing their own tickets right now in coding and and development and mm-hmm. building data architecture, and mm-hmm. they're writing their own tickets when it comes to project management. But when it comes to infrastructure, I can still go to conferences and meet four women who are on my level, four. And then mm. there's, you know, there's the CIOs, but every female CIO that I meet doesn't have a background in infrastructure, you know, and the CTOs that I meet, they have a background in development. So i are still... We're still, it's still, we're still, we have still a long way to go. And, and you know, you're probably going to put this out there, and there's going to be tons of women who say, No, 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 what about me? What about me? And I'm going to say, Okay, well, that's we, fine. There's we still, we need a club. We need a club It's still
0: 1%. It's still 1%. Um, what, so why? I focus specifically kind of like in the mid market space. So, so most of the companies that I work with are like 200 end users, upwards of like 5,000 right. end users. As right? do I. So, okay. And quite often, here's here's the other crazy crazy factor it's usually like one one i t director to a hundred end users so if you have like five hundred end users there's like a team of like like four to five people supporting them and to me that's absolutely insane because I've never because a so much runs off of technology these days so much runs off of like the network there's just so many things that that team has to take care of how is it realistic or how is it realistic to ask one or five people to handle and support that many people, especially when technology requires so much training and understanding from a huge mixed bag of end users these days? I think it's crazy. And in that particular situation, I think, you know, if we're going to, you know, stereotype and pigeonhole women into the, hey, women can talk and, and women can to put together a presentation and, 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 and be the cheerleaders and get excited. You know, these are some of the reasons why you said when we talked before, like why women should get excited about technology, you know, if they're the opposite of kind of the, the type engineering type IT guy, who's, you know, gruff and doesn't talk to people or when he does, he's, you know, pisses people off and whatever it is. Um, If that's the reason why women should get excited, then in the mid market space, you could do a lot of damage in a good way because, you know, uh, end users and people in the company that are trying to do something with technology are going to be very happy to talk to you.
1: It would make sense. It's just, um, it's just part of our culture, part of our society. Even when you look at television and you look at jobs that people have and you know, like the IT crowd, they, they got some woman who, <laughs> you know, who took over, who knew nothing about technology with these you know guys you rarely, if ever, see anybody on, even in the mainstream culture of movies or television, you never see them. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a, it's a cliche, I guess, because it's true or, you know, it's a stereotype because it's true. It's still true. I, as far as organizations, you know, there was, before 2008, before the market crashed and, and technology, the tech, you know, post the technology boom and, Previous to the um, the market crash around two thousand eight, um, you had a lot of large i t teams and your numbers you know your support numbers where you had i t support person uh, versus end users was uh, very thin you know it was you know one person for every fifty or one person mm-hmm. but but after that market uh, crash and companies skinny down and thinned out their teams mm-hmm. and then they realized. You know, we have 600 people and we have three IT support people and it's working. Mm. That's The unfortunate side effect of it is that, you know, we as IT professionals, we busted our hump to make the wheels still turn on the bus to keep the environment up. We work longer hours. We still work long hours and we made this happen. And we transitioned all of our support from, you know, certain people get some support support and others get white glove support everyone was getting white glove support and Mm. we screwed ourselves we we literally screwed ourselves by doing that and you know there's there's nothing sexy about like I said there's no glory in the job there's nothing sexy about the role um and you just have to be okay with that which I have always been okay with that because I like that Uh, I don't I guess I'm a glutton for punishment just you know whatever but uh
0: well, so what like can you do to have a life then and be in IT at the same time? Are you telling me you don't know that answer?
1: I, I do know the answer. Um, I have learned uh, <laughs> through Buddhism not to, um, not, you know, not to sleep with my phone beside my ear 24-7. I've learned um, to delegate more than I've ever delegated in the past. I think my delegating, um, uh, you know, I had a, um, a VP of IT Ops at Fairportal, who, uh, Glenn, who just kept saying, you got to delegate. Why are you doing this? You got to delegate this. You got to delegate this. I learned more about delegation from him than probably anybody in my career. And I, um, I just had to learn how to take a step back. My, um, and I kind of pushed that down to all of my managers to delegate that and to not take them on so much because as managers, as directors, as VPs, we are the, we have grown up in a, in a culture of, I don't know if you ever saw that Saturday Night Live episode where uh, um, I think it was Jimmy Fallon was the IT guy. Of course. And he, right. And he would sit down and you know, try to tell somebody how to do it and they would not do it. So he would just say move and he would push <laughs> them over and do it. We are all part of that in IT. We have that, we especially managers and directors, instead of delegating and tell, and teaching, having that teachable moment, we have a tendency to say move. And so Uh one of the things that I've learned over the last 10 years is I can't do that. I have to teach my team how to do it with lunch and learn sessions and to sit down and say, here, let me show you something. I, I do that all the time with office 365 or with VMware or with AWS. Here, let me show you how, let me show you what I'm doing as I'm doing it. So you'll learn it for the next time. Or I'll do a little desk side, you know, uh, the
0: lunch and learn is vastly underused, I think. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We do more lunch and learns. Exactly. We're, we're, we're more it bereave- doesn't help bereave- that I
1: have all this knowledge in my head and <laughs> they have none of it. Uh, I, the best mentor and the best managers, the best directors are the teams that, that, that teach their teams more than they know that you want a team that, to know more than you do. And so as much as you, as much as you can dump out to them, You should do it so that they can grow because in IT, it's all about learning. You know, we're nerds. We want to learn. That's it. And so the more you can teach them and the more they learn, sure, they're going to leave eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just par for the course. But, you know, you get get a new, young, eager person in and they learn and grow and grow. That's Mm -hmm. what you want. You want your team to know more than you do. And you want to give them as much knowledge as you possibly can. You want to give them as much training as you can. You want them to grow and learn and make you look good.
0: Sure. Uh, Any final advice, secret weapons, um, tactics, uh, anything for anyone out there listening that they can take away from this and use and, or get excited about.
1: (laughs) You know, speaking to most of the women out there who are struggling to break that glass ceiling, who can't get the job because they are a woman. And, and, and and just to be fair, um, about 60% of it is because you're a woman. I, I wouldn't give up. And There, you know, I was just recently in the job market looking, and I, um, I ran, I ran into the same sexism and the same, um, you know, sideways look that I've left jobs I'd come and gone in in technology, um, but I've got a good reputation and as being a chaos wrangler and to make things happen and. Don't squash your personality. Don't shut yourself down. Smile and be as happy as you want to be. And don't let a man tell you that you're not serious about your job because you refuse to, you know, sit in the data center in the back, surrounded in books and, and, and be the sweaty guy in the basement. You don't need to be that way. Uh, at the same time, you don't always have to smile and be happy and jolly. And the first guy that tells you, um, to smile at work one day when you're having a bad day, bag day, pick up the first heavy thing you can, give him a good <laughs> pop in the chops, and go on about your business. Because <laughs> your job is not to make smile and be cute and be happy. Your job is to do your job. So don't don't let a man tell you that.
0: So. Uh, Diane, uh, thank you so much uh, for thank being here today. Uh, it was a pleasure. Uh, please send me. Um, Please send me uh, your other friend colleague's name as well, Um, so I I can tag her and maybe ask her first before I do that. Okay. um, Thank you so much, and um, have a wonderful day.
1: You too.